0: Well good morning everyone, my name is Russell Smith, the senior pastor here at New Life and uh, my privilege to be opening God's Word uh, with us this morning. You can keep it open at uh, Luke's Gospel, we're going to end up jumping through lots of uh, different places this morning as we continue on in this series about money. Generation generous. We want to be getting God's perspective on money and by having God's perspective on money we might have freedom. That was the big promise, that was the big claim uh, that I made last week. Not because I'm a prosperity preacher, not because I'm an economic strategist, not because I'm a financial expert, but because of who God is. And if we have the right perspective on money, the perspective on money, from God's perspective, we will have freedom. Freedom from stress, freedom from anxiety, freedom from guilt, freedom so that we might have generosity, that we might have contentment, joy, and thankfulness. Now, each week as we go, and go along, we are looking at one of four uh, financial strategies that are opposed to God. Uh, last week we looked at asceticism, and we saw there that money is not bad. We do not need to escape uh, from money. It is not more spiritual to go uh, without. Money is a good gift from God. Everything that we have from God is a good gift to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. Uh, if you missed last week, I encourage you to jump on nlpc.info, follow that through to our sermon podcasts, uh, where you'll hear a bit more about the framework that sets up these four strategies, financial strategies that are opposed to God. We talked about that, and we looked at uh, asceticism. Today, we're looking at financial atheism, a financial strategy that leaves God. Out of the picture. I think it's a bit of an irony uh, that printed on all US currency is the slogan, In God we trust. It's a good <laughs> slogan, but there's great irony, a sad irony that the US, just like the rest of the Western world, just like Australia, While we say, in God we trust, we then live like money is God. You see, people who are caught up in financial atheism recognize that money is good, but also that money is powerful. Money is something that meets my needs. Money fixes problems. Those of us who are affected and infected by financial atheism, no matter how much money we have, we will think things like, if only I had just a little bit more money, then life will be okay. If I had just a little bit more money, I could fix this and this and this. And if you ask somebody who is into financial atheism, is money safe? Is money good? They'll say yes, but is money safe? They'll say yes, money is safe, but is it? Oh, well, you turn your attention to the screen, and we're going to hear a story of somebody who's going to tell us well, their story about whether they think money is safe.
1: I've worked ever since I was 15 years old, I put myself through college, my bills are paid every month, I'm able to buy the things that I need, I've always paid for my own clothes. I love clothes, and I love to go shopping, it can become an addiction. Attention is focused on me, you know the way I look, how thin you are, my own insecurities, I tend to go overboard, if I don't get that workout in, if I eat too much, I fail for that day. It makes me so frustrated. I'll be feeling really bad about myself instead of going and praying about it and shopping. It just makes you feel better whenever you buy something that will make you look pretty. I'm an impulse buyer as far as what's on the sale, right? I don't buy anything that's not on sale, but I justify it somehow. <laughs> money. Money is in it I'm now struggle with it. Nine times out of ten, you know, drive away to the store just shaking like my head. What that I just do. I don't need this. It's just regret the purchase is so materialistic and whatever. It's a big deal. You know, I've always thought I'd pass up as a bargain shopper or somebody who's pretty wise with their buys. But you know, when you've got 10 shirts that were under $20 that you don't wear, but maybe once a month, it's silly. It's hard to not get caught up in that.
0: She says it's hard not to get caught up in that. Is money safe? Money can have a power over us. Money can cause us to do things that we look back and go, we wouldn't normally do. The lady in the store, in the, telling her story, that she would go in a shop and she would buy things that she didn't really need or she didn't really want, and she'd go away shaking her head. Money has a power over us that can even cause us to do things that are pretty extreme behaviours that we wouldn't normally do. We're in the midst of a royal commission into the financial uh, sector and week after week, stones are being turned over and we are seeing some of the unethical behaviour that has gone on in the financial sector. There was an article published just last Monday in the Guardian newspaper by Gordon Menzies. Uh, Gordon is Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Technology in Sydney and previously uh, worked as an economist to the Reserve Bank of Australia. And in this article that he published on Monday, wrote on Monday, uh, he, 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 he looks at a few psychological and sociological studies that have been done over the last decade or so that show when people are immersed into money, and particularly those who work with money, and if you're a, a banker or an accountant or a financial planner or manager or any one of those kind of things, uh, it'd be great to be hearing from you today over morning tea. This is not meant to go after you, uh, and, and you'll hear in a moment he doesn't go after you, uh, he's reflecting on some of the power of money. These sociological studies and psychological studies show that people who are immersed in money are more likely to do things they wouldn't otherwise do. This is what he says. Let's not be too tough on the witnesses at the Royal Commission. After all, some of them are in an equivalent situation to drug addicts having lost control of their lives to a very powerful substance. Now, I don't think you want us to diminish responsibility for unethical and criminal behaviour at all, but psychological and sociological studies show that when we are immersed in money, it has an effect on us. You see, when we put our hands on God's good gift, the place that God should have in our heart is easily taken up by greed. Money is good, but money is not safe. Money is good, but money is not safe. As we turn to Jesus' teaching on money... We see that money might keep us out of God's kingdom. The very thing that Jesus came into the world to draw us into, to save us into, to welcome us into God's kingdom, heaven, eternal life with God, money might keep us out a moment ago, Sammy uh, read for us Luke chapter 12. Kind of kicks off a section where Jesus talks a lot about money and wealth and possessions, and he interacts uh, with wealthy and rich people. He tells this parable about a successful farmer. He has a bumper crop, and if you have a bumper crop, you're going to go, "Wow, we're, we're, we're going to make new plans. We got to gather it up. We're going to build a storehouse for it." That is a good and sensible and right thing to do. But the farmer was gripped by greed. That he might have gone, I'm going to build this up so that I can take life easy. I have got it made. I have got this windfall now that has set me up for life. I am king. And while he's sitting back in his lounge chair with his feet up, with his open fire in front of his luxurious home, knowing that he's got his safe investment out the back in the shed, in the storehouse, what does Jesus say to him? You fool. You fool. And he loses it all? And Jesus is saying that a man like this will not be in God's kingdom. In Luke chapter 18, a rich ruler comes to Jesus seeking eternal life. There is nothing better or nothing more important to seek than eternal life. There is no one to turn to other than Jesus if you are seeking eternal life. This rich ruler has a good desire a desire for eternal life, a desire to be with God forever. And he is a good man. As Jesus probes, he sees that this is a man who, 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 who has kept the commandments. But Jesus can see that his heart is not gripped by love for God, but gripped by greed. Jesus gives him one simple thing really to do but it's hard for him, impossible for him. Go sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. Now, I think this is one of the saddest stories in the New Testament, that here is a man who has everything, so to say, in terms of wealth. He's a good man, And he has this deep desire to have eternal life. And here he stands, face to face with Jesus, wanting eternal life. He gets as close to Jesus as you can possibly get. And it says there, he went away sad. With everything that he had, with God out of the picture... Greed had gripped his heart so strongly that he could not let go of his possessions so that he would be out of God's kingdom. In between these two events, Jesus teaches some other things about money in Luke chapter 16. We're going to come to that next week. But in the midst of it, he says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We've all heard that before, haven't we? You cannot serve God and money. That just kind of washes over me a little bit. I've heard it so many times. Just pause right now. Say to yourself... Doesn't need to be out loud. Say to yourself, I cannot serve God and money. Jesus said those very words 2000 years ago and they are just as true today as when he said them 2000 years ago. I cannot serve God and money and immediately after Jesus says that he goes on to tell about a rich man who was surprised to find that he was in hell surprised to find that he was out of God's kingdom you see ever since the man and the woman in the garden when we put our hands on God's good gift the place that God should have in our hearts is easily taken up by greed Money dangles like a carrot on a stick in front of our donkey like love for more. Money is good, but it's not safe. It might keep us out of God's kingdom. Last week, we dropped into 1 Timothy some of the strongest warnings and commands to those who are rich like you and I. And look at this warning. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Doesn't say, money is the root of all kinds of evil, the love of money, that's greed, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There are all kinds of things that can cause us in life to walk away from God, to pull back in faith to trust God less, to put our confidence in other things, all kinds of griefs, trials, hardships, disappointments, conflict with people. But right here, see that money, the love of money, greed, is one of the things that can cause us to wander from the faith, be pierced with many griefs and leave us out of God's kingdom. Now let me push back against this for you. You and I are rich. okay. Every single one of us in this room have a, have a level of wealth that puts us above many people in the world and many people in the history of the world. We have lots of money in this room. We're a wealthy country. The federal budget that was released this week. That is not the kind of budget that poor countries have and the kind of things, that the details that we labour over are not the details that poor countries labour over. Now, that's, it's not a bad thing to be in this situation, but we need to recognise and acknowledge that we are rich. Now, pushing back against 1 Timothy, are we really in that much danger of being out of God's kingdom? If our greed is not excessive, there's just a a veneer of it, you you wouldn't even say it is greed. So long as we're on the path to eternal life, we're okay, right? We we don't really need to worry about the danger of money. Is, Is it really this serious? Are the stakes really this high? Well, let's have a closer look at what greed is. First of all, we see in the Bible that greed is foolish. Greed is foolish. The pursuit of money is not good for us. A sociologist I read said this, the more materialistic people are, the poorer their quality of life. People who study society... So the more materialistic we are, the poorer quality of life. This is exactly what the book of Ecclesiastes says in the Old Testament. One of the wisdom books where God's people were settled in their land and they had time to look out the window and reflect on life and the book of Ecclesiastes describes life. It doesn't really tell us this is how life should be. This just tells us life, this is how it is. Whoever loves money never has enough. This could have been published in the newspaper this week, couldn't it? Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a labourer, a hard worker, is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. It is foolish to align our lives with something that could be taken from us in a moment. Another one of the wisdom books, Proverbs, says, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, from when Jesus said that in the first century, our cash and investments are are far more durable to moths and rust, but they are no more secure. It is foolish to have a greedy dependence on money. The second thing to say about greed is it's an abuse of God's generosity. The history of God's Old Testament people, and we surveyed some of it last week, we see that time and time and time again, God generously provides for his people. The story in history of Old Testament Israel is that they had great material prosperity that came from God. And to go with that, God gave his people good laws to ensure that they would share and that the poor and the vulnerable amongst them would be provided for, that everyone would be provided for. They had riches and wealth and they had laws to set up a society where everyone could enjoy God's good generosity. But as we come to the last half of the Old Testament, the startling assessment of the Old Testament prophets who came in and amongst God's people to speak God's word on behalf of God so that they might know the truth from God's perspective, their assessment was that the Israelites had become greedy financial criminals. There was so much going on of it in business and in families and in the country No amount of royal commission could unturn all the crim overturn un- uncover all the financial criminality that was going on there people were abusing the poor and at the root of it all they had forgotten god as they had taken god out of the midst of their lives out of the midst of their wealth and out of the midst of their riches it had all been replaced in their hearts by a greed for more and they did things to one another that they never would have imagined that they would have done but Because they were gripped by money and greed. Over the next two Sundays, we're going to have a look at what God would have us do positively in response to his generosity. Let's just say today, greed is an abuse of God's generosity. The third point to make about greed is its idolatry. Greed dishonours God. Greed competes with God for the number one position in our life. Look at what Job says. The good man, godly man, who lost everything. He says, if I have put my trust in gold, or said to pure gold, you are my security... If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained. If I have regarded the sun in its radiance or the moon moving in splendor, so that my heart was secretly enticed and my hand offered them a kiss of homage, then these also would be sins to be judged, for I would have been unfaithful to God on high. What Job says there greed is unfaithfulness to God. Provocatively, greed is like jumping into bed with a man or woman that we are not married to. Greed is idolatry, greed is foolish, greed is an abuse of God's generosity. Greed is idolatry. Now, none of us here will dispute that greed is an ugly characteristic. Every single one of us can think of somebody who, when we think greed, we think, yeah, that person. And that is ugly. Every one of us can perhaps think of a moment in our life where greed has bubbled up to the surface and we're not proud of that. That that that, that's ugly. Few of us will honestly see and acknowledge the greed that is there in our hearts all the time. Brothers and sisters, it is there. Living in this world where God is easily replaced, God is just as easily replaced in our hearts and greed will quickly fill the void and grip our hearts. It'll infect us like a deadly virus to shape and influence our thoughts and our attitudes and our behaviours. One of my heroes, uh, Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this about the thing that grips our heart. Anything that you and I tend to set up as the big thing, the central thing in our lives, the thing about which we think and dream, the thing that engages our imagination, the thing that we live for, the thing that gives us the biggest thrill... If it is anything other than God, it is idolatry. Is there any of that in you and I? Could you be like the rich fool? If the big thing at the center of your life is taken away in the blink of an eye, Will you be left devastated? Oh, you might be sad. You might have hardship. Will you be devastated? Could you be like the rich ruler? Could you be somebody who's living a good life, a very good life, who thinks that eternal life is a wonderful thing to have... But perhaps you're not prepared to give up everything to follow God. Is there greed in your heart? What do we do about it? What do we do about the greed that just keeps coming in and in and in? What are we going to do about living in a world, and particularly our part of the world, that is overflowing with money? What are we going to do about this good gift that God has given us to buy and sell and to have, to enjoy with thanksgiving, but it's so dangerous? What are we going to do? Psychologist Dorothy Rowe, in her book, the real meaning of money, she says, I think that the only way to give up being greedy is to die. Really, the Bible says the same thing in just one word: the Bible says, repent, repent. Die to self. Turn away from the sin that is in your own heart. Turn away from the wrong desires that you have. Die to that and turn to God. I don't know whether Dorothy Rowe is a Christian or not, but she's got it spot on. It's as if she's read the book of Colossians. Put to death the greed that grips your heart. Repent. Whatever has gripped your heart that is not God, if it is greed, we need to repent. Whatever else it might have been that has gripped your heart, that big thing that you live for, that big thing that you dream for, that big thing that you plan for, that big thing that you could not imagine living without, that has gripped your heart in the place of God. One word, repent. In the aftermath of the rich ruler walking away from Jesus sad, the disciples said to Jesus, how can the rich be saved? Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But, he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. If when greed has gripped our heart, is it possible to be saved? If you are rich, if we are wealthy, is it possible to be saved? The very next encounter that Jesus has recorded for us in Luke's gospel is with another rich man, a very rich man. And the disciples and we have got to be thinking, it is impossible for this guy to be saved. How can this guy to be saved? And as we learn a little bit more about this man, we see that he's not a good man. He's a criminal. He's a thief. He's a scoundrel. He's a chief tax collector. And like the rich ruler, he wants to see Jesus. He wants to get up close with Jesus. And almost humorously in the story we then find out he is a short man. This is Zacchaeus. His heart was completely gripped by greed, but he wanted to see Jesus. I'm sure many of you know the story, and I told some of it just a few weeks ago. You can look it up in Luke chapter 19. But what happens that day, by the end of that day, by the end of that encounter with Jesus, Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. You see, Zacchaeus repented. Zacchaeus turned around. Zacchaeus died to self and turned to God. For him, that required a very outward action of repaying and giving back to all those people that he had cheated and paying back even more that he had to do. For him to repent, he had to For him to be set free from the grip of greed, he had to get rid of money. You and I, gripped by greed, we need to repent. Every time we feel greed gripping our heart, taking up the place in our heart that God should have, we need to repent. Repent in our heart... Repent in our actions, doing whatever it takes to turn from living for money to live for God. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. The enduring habit of the Christian life has got to be repentance. Money is good. That's what we saw last week. Money is good. And the enduring habit of the Christian life is thankfulness. Money is good, but money is not safe. The enduring habit of the Christian life is repent. Back in 1 Timothy again. Chapter 6, verse 17... Here's the sharp part of what we looked at last week. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. As you think about money, as you handle money, as you move the buckets of dirt around in your life to balance budget and make plans for the future, we need the resounding slogan, in God we trust. One of the members of my seniors Bible study group uh, dropped me off some American currency this morning that they had. I've never been to America and I've I think I've seen their currency before, but probably not handled it before. Have you got any American currency floating around? Coins or cash? Perhaps you could take that and put it in a place where you most think about money or where you most handle money. You can find a picture on the internet, perhaps like the one that I had up there earlier. Print it out. Make your own coin so that we might remember the slogan in God we trust. You see the command of 1 Timothy is not to trust in money, not to trust in cash, not to trust in investments but to put our hope in God. I think we'll be helped By remembering when we handle money, when we think about money, that will always be shaped by this slogan, a good slogan, in God we trust. Now, there is a heap more to say about money. We're only halfway through the series so far. Next week, we're going to look at financial apathy. If you want to read ahead, have a look at Luke chapter 16 and see how you go at coming to understand what Luke chapter 16 says. And we're going to think together about financial apathy, another financial strategy that's opposed to God. For this morning, if your financial strategy is to leave God out of the picture... And be exposed to greed. Hear God say this repent.